Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Like some of you here, uh, I did go down to Phoenix for Synod Assembly. Uh, We took Noah, we were in the van, and Marissa and I, in between multiple showings of the Lego movie, uh, got to listen to a really wonderful book on tape. It was uh, a biography of Fred Rogers, uh, read by none other than LeVar Burton. It was like our 1980s childhoods in a box. And among the many uh, amazing stories that we heard about this man was the story of Mr. Rogers' appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show back in 1985 in Chicago before she had reached her peak of national syndication. Now, as plans were underway for the show, Mr. Rogers' friends told Oprah that she needed to make sure that there were no children in the audience. They told her that if there were any children in the audience, Fred Rogers would become immediately distracted and would become a terrible interview subject. Now then, as probably now, Oprah was not one to listen to what other people told her. She is Oprah after all. And she thought it would be good to invite mothers with their children to come for what she thought would be a very powerful Q&A with Fred Rogers about parenting. And it was powerful, just not in the way that she intended it to be. When parents came up for questions bringing their children, Mr. Rogers got out of his seat and came out of camera range toward the audience and immediately knelt down to look at the children at eye level. And he listened to them and not their mothers. And he patiently listened to children who approached the stage, who, by the way, have no idea how to do timing for television. And he patiently answered questions at their own pace. He even spent time allaying the fears of one little boy who was concerned about the plastic trolley on the stage that appeared to have tracks that were leading it off the stage, and he thought something bad would happen to trolley. So Fred Rogers stopped and let him know that everything was going to be okay. And to Fred Rogers in that moment, the adult members of the audience, to say nothing of the TV audience at home, started to fade away. And all that he could see were the questions, the needs, and the concerns of the smallest members in the audience in front of him. Oprah had been warned. (laughs) To Mr. Rogers, the children were all that mattered. And I don't think it's an accident that a man like that had taught my generation and so many others about what it meant to be a neighbor. It means having a laser focus on the smallest and most needy among us. And when we find them, we get so distracted with them that everything else just fades away except for their needs. Being a neighbor means being on the lookout for people in front of us to the relationships that matter most to us. Dana got this absolutely right. For some of us, it might mean unplugging from the digital world that is always chirping at us. For others, it might mean stopping to ask a friend or coworker how they're doing and actually meaning it. 
For many of us, it means spending a considerable amount of time listening to the people in our communities and in our neighborhoods and using our voices to fight on their behalf. Shout out to uh, Lean and Nevadans for the Common Good and Lutheran Social Services as well. And for all of us, it means being constantly ready for that person who needs our compassion, our time, our money, our possessions, our ears, our understanding, our patience, our strength, or even just our simple presence. And if you're like me, boy, do you struggle with this. As Jesus told that young lawyer, our neighbor is not a person waiting for us to give the bare minimum required by the law. Aren't lawyers fun? Who's, who is my neighbor? How do I get away with this, right? For Jesus, a neighbor is the kind of person that we are called to be, giving the maximum of our compassion and our love, just like he did. Now, I think the uh, Good Samaritan in the story he tells is a little bit like Mr. Rogers on the Oprah show. He finds a man who is alone on a very dangerous road, by the way. That's not the kind of thing that you would travel alone. He finds this man alone, beaten and left for dead. And he drops what he's doing. He gives the man his own resources of oil and wine, which before the days of Costco were not sold in bulk and did not come cheap. He let him use his own animal and walked the rest of the way on that dangerous road. He took him to an inn and he gave the innkeeper two denarii, which one denarii is equal to about a day's pay for a laborer. So he gave him two days' pay to care for the man. So his time, his resources, his energy, his compassion, he got distracted. He didn't get caught up like the priest or the Levites in their jobs or in the rules of purity that would prevent them from doing their work in the temple just because they touched a dead body. But here's the thing. The Samaritan didn't just assume the man was dead. He stopped. He looked. He checked. He found that breath and a pulse. And he went into action. And he didn't wait. He didn't stop to think, wait, I'm a Samaritan and we're not supposed to interact with people from Judah. He was so distracted by the need of the bleeding man in front of him, he dropped everything and he ignored everything that society had put in his head just to do what needed to be done. Right? A neighbor is not somebody... Right? A neighbor is a, a not somebody that you give you know, a little bit of attention, right? You are a neighbor, which means you are there for the people in front of you. This is what we're called to do, to be a neighbor. It starts near us. So we are going to be asking this question the next four weeks, and we're going to be getting broader and broader and broader, right? Um, we saw that in the children's sermon very wonderfully, by the way, right? Who's a neighbor? Me, person closest to me right in front of me. And then the neighbor is also everyone. So we are going to go on a journey. But the thing to remember as we begin this week 
that that answer to that question of who is my neighbor starts right about where your nose stops. It starts in your daily life. It starts in the people that you encounter. Now, uh, very often as a, as a Lutheran pastor, when I talk about the grace of God and how there's nothing we do to contribute to our salvation, very many times with my uh, interfaith partners who are chaplains um, or out in the community, and maybe even with some of you, the question comes up, hey, so if we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation, what do we do? And I don't think this is a bad question, but here's the thing. To the question of what do you need to do now that Jesus has died for you? As a preacher, I can't answer. Only your neighbor can answer that question. It's like when I, uh, I do weddings, uh, or used to from time to time. Jason kind of took that spot uh, for me. Thank you, by the way. Uh, it, it, I'll do weddings from time to time, and, and, the, and the grooms will get nervous. Right? And they'll look at me for direction, and I say, okay, now we're going to do vows. And the, and the groom is still looking at me, and i got to say, buddy, look at her. You're making the vows to her. And so I think God does that too, right? Look at your neighbor. That's where you're going to get that answer of what you do now. Don't look at me, because when you do look at me, what you'll see is the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus means that we don't have to look to God for approval. Not an approval that we are good, we are holy, we are righteous, or, or that we're accomplished, or we're smart, or we're relevant, or we're woke enough. We don't have to look, for God, look to God for approval like those religious leaders were looking for when they walked right past the man who was bleeding and dying. They were on their way right to, to work in the temple, to keep that sacrificial system going. They couldn't see the person in front of them. And what God does for us on the cross is he dies so that we don't have to look up in the sky anymore. We don't have to look to God to tell us what to do. Because all God sees when she looks at us is Jesus. And our lives are all marked with crosses. And so this is how Luther puts it. God does not need your good work anymore. Jesus took care of that. The person who needs your good work is your neighbor. And so when we're Christians, the lives we live are marked in sacrifice. The work on behalf of the people in our lives, both the people closest to us and the people we encounter in places like this church where we otherwise would not. And by the way, if anybody tries to tell you that somebody's not your neighbor, as governments have done even in this country in the past, either because they and in the present, either because they're not your skin color or because they weren't born here or because they love differently than you do. If anybody tries to tell you that somebody is not your neighbor or that they're an enemy to be conquered or that it's totally okay to place people in squalid camps or to tear children for their, from their parents for the only crime of coming here and seeking a better life. It doesn't matter who that person is, what kind of patriot they claim to be, or what office they hold. They are wrong and they deserve to be ignored. We have got neighbors right now coming across our border who need us just the same as the neighbors in this community. 
And so the cross of Jesus Christ not only ties you unbreakably to God, it binds you to every person in this world and the sacrifices of love and compassion you're called to make for their sake. Dad, if you're listening, I I think of you. And we especially think of on this day where we either honor fathers who sacrificed to get us where we are or honored the men or women that stood up for us to make those sacrifices in his place. And today, on Father's Day, we remember our Heavenly Father, who, as well, I think not unlike his cardigan and sneaker-wearing servant, embodied to, who embodied so many children, do so many children God's love. I'm starting to tear up. I don't talk about my dad for that reason. Because just like Mr. Rogers... I think God gets distracted, too. God longs to stop and pay full attention to us when we feel lost, afraid, and when we're depressed, when we're grieving. God longs to be with us when we're by the side of the road. So often we have this image of a God with a guy with a beard up in heaven pulling uh, on all these levers that run the universe. But I think God, a little more like Mr. Rogers, he is running to be with us. He's paying attention to us. He is distracted by our needs. And so the first thing God does is approach us like a loving father giving us a beautiful creation full of all the things that we need and all the things that our neighbors need. Then he bends down as the sun, just like Mr. Rogers on the Oprah stage, kneeling down into that same creation to embrace us, to forgive us, to tell us everything is okay. And if we run from his kneeling down in Jesus, God doesn't stop there. He still goes and seeks us out in the Holy Spirit, literally going everywhere to give us the words that we need to hear and the peace that we need to find. By the way, this is the Trinity, not a shamrock, not different states of water. It is God constantly coming for you in every state of man, every every person he can find, every way he can find. Because here's the thing. God gets distracted by us. God is distracted by our needs, by our suffering. And God sends us to go and be that presence that points to him or to her in so many ways. We can be neighbors because of the rich and beautiful community that God creates right here. I watched a Good Samaritan parable right in this church, by the way. A young woman from the community who had come and worshipped with us quite a bit, and she always came with a really rough or sad story. And uh, I came to church one week. Marissa was out of town. I was all alone at church. I had to get church ready. I had to get stuff um, going. And so she was sitting out in the narthex, and uh, I went, oh, no, not today. I can't really listen to this. I'm too busy for this, right? So I I, I popped in. I, I, I... you know, kind of said hello, but quickly got away. And I and I, w- I went down the road to Jerusalem, back to the temple. I went in the pastor's office and I was getting ready. But when I came out, what did I see? I saw many of you. I saw some of the women of this congregation literally surrounding her and listening to her and caring about her. You were neighbors that day. This is the kind of place that it is. It's our job to tell the world how distracted God is with their problems. It's also our jobs, like we're going to do in VBS this week, 
to fill this studio audience with more children. Amen. Amen. Amen.